I mentioned last time I was with you, we we're going to begin a study of the 119th Psalm, um, the longest song in the Psalm in the Book of Songs, um, the longest song in the book uh, in the longest book of the Bible. Um, and today, what we are going to do is we are going to just kind of do an overview of Psalm 119 and the the whole book of Psalms as well, so we can see where this fits in the life of the Christian, where it fits in Scripture. As I mentioned before, it is biblical truth, the proclamation of biblical truth and prayer, which God uses to first enliven his people that sit in the pews, enliven them to the gospel, and then move them into the community as God brings about revival in the community through prayer, through the reading and teaching of scripture, and through the administration of the sacraments. And so we will look at what Psalm 119, the psalmist says, about God's word over the next 22, 23 weeks. So our scripture today is Psalm 119, verse 97. This is God's word. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Let us pray. Our God and Father, lead us to the fountain of truth. Lead us to the life-changing truth that you have for us in this chapter, in this poem, and lead us clearly to the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you think about the Bible? More precisely, what do you think about the law of God? Now, I know that you all know how you're supposed to react. You're supposed to say something like, God's law is my rule for life, my only guide for faith and practice. And you could sprinkle some stuff in there about how God's law reveals his character and our need for a savior. But how do you really feel about the word of God? Let's do a little thought experiment. I'm going to list off some books of the Bible and and you pay attention to your own internal reaction to that particular book. Matthew. John, Genesis, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. Now, I would hazard a guess that your reaction to Matthew and John was significantly different than your reaction to Leviticus. The author of Psalm 119 writes repeatedly that he has a love, a delight, and a longing For God's law, the study of God's law, he says in some places, and the obedience of God's law in others. When he speaks of the word of God, of the law of God, he is likely referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But you and I can apply that love and delight and longing to the whole of God's instructions as presented in the 66 books of the Bible. Through our study, we will learn some of the why behind the psalmist's love for God's word. And we'll also look at ways in which you and I can develop that love, that longing, that delight in our own lives. Our goal today, however, is to look at some introductory matters that will help us get a feel for the psalm and the direction in which we will be headed. And we'll do this by considering the book of Psalms as a whole and then the overall context of Psalm 119. Now, the book of Psalms as a whole, the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 
Hebrew poems. Now, some of these poems are written for use in the temple. Others are used or other worship settings. Some of them are personal expressions of grief, of trust, of praise, of thanksgiving, of worship. And yet because of what they are, sometimes you and I struggle with the book of Psalms. One of the main reasons we struggle with the book of Psalms is because it's, well, poetry. For some reason, now it may be educational, it may be because um, we have an image-driven culture with television, with movies, with the internet. It may simply because be because if we're honest with ourselves, we aren't really all that artistic. But for some reason, the average American struggles with poetry. We have to work at pulling out the meaning behind the imagery. Another, another struggle that we have with the book of Psalms is that it's ancient poetry. One of these Psalms is attributed to Moses, which means it was written around 1400 B.C. According to some internal clues that we have, the newest psalm, if you will, was written around 400 B.C. That means the newest psalm in here is about 2,400 years old. How many of you know that life has changed for humanity in the last 2,400 years? We're fundamentally the same. We're we're images of God. We are sinners just like Moses was 3,400 years ago, yet... The way we understand life, the way we understand knowledge, the way we understand poetry has changed in the last 34 to 2400 years. Not only is this poetry, not only is it ancient poetry, but it's also ancient Hebrew poetry. You and I like our facts lined up in a straight line. That's the influence of the Greco-Roman philosophy and rhetoric on our lives. We want point A, then point B, then point C. We want an introduction, three points with application, then a conclusion, then give us the benediction and go home. Hebrew thought is expressed differently. Oftentimes, Hebrew thought, we saw this in Revelation, is you have a theme and the author will circle around that theme, spiral around that theme until he finally lands upon that theme after he has developed this spiraling, intensifying argument to make his point. And so we put all these things together. This may be a struggle for some of us to consider Psalm 119, but we'll work through this together. We will look at some of the the pictures that we have, the imagery that we have, the poetic tools that we have given to us in Psalm 119 that will not only help us with that study, but it will also help us as we go through the book of Psalms. Just kind of as a preview in the Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney out there, he talks about how to pray through the Psalms that gives us a better understanding of the Psalms as we pray it, as we internalize it, and as we meditate on it. Now, why would someone compile a collection of 150 poems that would end up as inspired scripture? In general terms, according to Mark Futado, the book of Psalms is given to us as, quote, God's words to humans to teach us how to pray and to praise. How do you and I, how do you and I respond to God when life is in the dumps? There's a psalm for that. 
How do you and I respond to God when we find ourselves on the mountaintops of success and peace? There's a psalm for that too. For every situation that you could be facing, for every emotional response to those situations that you could be facing, there is a psalm that teaches us how to reach out to God and respond to Him in a way that brings Him glory, in a way that brings Him honor, and in a way that leads us to the answers that God has given us in Scripture to help us with those difficulties. We, are, we, we do ourselves a great service when you and I pick up the book of Psalms, when we say, Lord, it is that time of the day where I'm going to pray to you and I'm going to pray with my eyes and my Bible open. And I'm going to let your spirit lead me through a particular psalm to show me the words that you want me to pray to you, to show me where you want to change my heart and to help me approach you as you desire to be approached. The words of the book of Psalms remind us of God's promises. The words in the book of Psalms teach us who God is. They show us his glory in the middle of hardship and the difficulties of life. The words of God, especially in the Psalms, can shape how we pray for our friend with cancer. They can help us pray effectively for salvation of, for the salvation of people that we love. They can show us a simplicity of prayer, such as, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the majesty of a prayer that offers worship and glory to God, such as Psalm 148. Praying God's word through the Psalms will keep our prayers from being empty repetition, even when they go longer than you had planned or than you would like. The Psalms are also instruction. This is Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law or the Torah of the Lord. And on this Torah, he meditates day and night. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 is an introduction to the book of Psalms. And, it, and it, these two Psalms tell us what the book of Psalms is about. It's about blessing and it's about God the King. And who is blessed in Psalm 1? It's the one whose delight, whose love, whose longing is in the law of the Lord, as it's translated there. And that, that word law is the word Torah. And it shows up frequently throughout the Psalms. And it's the word that the psalmist in Psalm 119 uses the most to describe the word of God. But what is Torah? We see here in Psalm 1 that it's, just, that it's translated law, but it's more than just law. Many Hebrews call the first five books of the Bible Torah because it holds the law of God as he had given it to Moses. But is that all that you find in the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. No, there's historical narrative in those books as well. And that historical narrative is given to you in order to shape your life as much as the law is. In the narrative, we learn of God's creative power. We learn of God's choosing and sustaining a people. And we see how and where things go wrong when God's law is ignored or broken. 
One of my seminary classes, the professor introduced me to the idea of instruction or law through narrative. You and I are tempted to look at the narrative as merely story, as merely entertainment. But the narrative is inspired scripture and is there for instruction just as much as the law is. You want to know how we know that polygamy or polyamory or whatever we're calling it in our messed up world today, you want to know how you know it's wrong? Because every time it shows up in the narrative portions of scripture, it goes horribly wrong for the guy. Whether it's Abraham with Sarah and Hagar, whether it's Jacob with Leah and Rachel, whether it's David with all of his wives and Solomon with all of his extra wives and concubines, things go wrong for men and women when they violate God's marriage through more than two people getting married. The narrative is there for instruction as well. So Torah carries more than the idea of law. It also involves the practice of instruction. In fact, this is how the author of Proverbs typically uses Torah. It's the instruction the father and the mother give to the son, to the child, so that he will grow to be a godly and a wise man. And Psalms opens with this great declaration that blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of God. And this word Torah instruction shows up frequently. Now, the Psalms gives us instruction in two areas. The first is instruction for happiness. Blessed, which opens up Psalm 1, and blessed, which opens up verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 119, is the word that we often translate happy. What does it mean when the Bible says you should be happy because you delight in the law of God? Well, happiness is a state of well-being. Notice it's not necessarily a feeling, but it's a state of well-being characterized by emotions ranging from contentment to intense joy. So the child at the birthday party who was just beaming because they got the cake they wanted, we would consider that child to be happy. But the child who may be in a state where they couldn't have get, the parents could not get as much for that child as they would like to for that birthday. And yet the child is content because he or she knows that mom and dad really love him, really love her. That child's happy as well. May not show it in an exuberance, but that sense of peace, that sense of well-being, that sense of contentment, knowing that I am safe in this house with mom and dad, and they are showering love upon me in ways that don't necessarily show in things, there's that sense of well-being as well. Now, the blessed, the happy person is characterized by three things we'll look at briefly in Psalm 1. It says, He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. It's characterized by life. This is a tree planted by the streams of water on a riverbank so that even in the midst of drought, it has a constant source of water, a constant source of the minerals that it needs. It's characterized by endurance. It yields its fruit in season, in winter, in summer, in spring, and in fall. It is safe. It is protected. It is there for the long term, as we'll see even in times of hardship. 
It is protected and it is marked by significance. Whatever he does prospers. You know, as long as a tree produces the fruit it is intended to produce, you take care of it and you find importance in it. And so the blessed person is characterized by life, by endurance, and by significance. So the, strong, the Psalms give us instruction in happiness. They also give us instructions for holiness. Psalm 119 verse 1 tells us about this holiness that is ours or that should be ours. It says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. The Psalms teach us holiness as well. And holiness is not just knowing what is right, but doing what is right also. Joshua 1.8, as God is giving instructions to Joshua before the nation of Israel enters the promised land, he says, know my law so that you can live my law and be holy before me. And so the book of Psalms as a whole is a book that instructs us in how to be happy before God and in how to be holy before God. And it's into that context that we find Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119 comes between a group of psalms, Psalm 113 through 118, that were called the Passover Hallel Psalms. They were typically sung during Passover. And much like the last five psalms, they begin begin and end with praise the Lord. And it comes before the Psalms of Ascent, which are 15 psalms that the Israelites would sing as they moved toward Jerusalem for their different feasts and festivals, including the Passover meal. This is, as I mentioned before, the longest psalm in the Psalter. It's 176 verses long. Now, there was a Puritan preacher that did 190 sermons on those 176 verses back in the 16th century. I will not be breaking his record this year. This will be... 22, there are 22 sections of eight verses each, and we will focus on each of those sections over a 22-week period. Uh, well, one section a week for about 22 weeks after today. Um, in its structure, it's what we call an acrostic. If you notice in your Bible, most modern translations have a funny squiggly line and then a, a word next to that funny squiggly line that you would not recognize normally. The funny squiggly line is the Hebrew letter. The funny word next to it is the name of that Hebrew letter transliterated into English. So you have Aleph or Beit or Beth, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, so on and so forth. And each of the eight verses or eight lines in that strophe, in that section, begin with that particular Hebrew word or letter. Excuse me. And that structure points us to the reality that Psalm 119 and all of God's word is completely sufficient. Everything that you and I need from A to Z to live a happy and holy life is included within God's word. It's what we talk about when we talk about the sufficiency of the word. Do you need to know what your identity is? It's found in God's word. Do you need to know what your problem with God is? It's found in God's word. Do you need to know how to find salvation? It is found in God's word. 
Do you need to know how to live a holy life, whether it's the life of a preacher, the life of a manager, the life of a mechanic? It is found in God's word. God's word is sufficient for his people. It includes everything that you and I need to live a happy and a holy life. Now, this psalm will use at least eight words to describe God's word or God's law. One we've already looked at, which is Torah or instruction. There's the word, the the word word, which typically uh, means the spoken word. There's laws or judgments, which is typically written word, statutes, commandments, rules or decrees, procedures and promise. We we see these words once again that to describe the whole, the the sufficient, the complete nature of God's word to speak to every aspect of our life. This psalm is repetitive. Just something I will personally struggle with. I'm sure many of you will struggle with as well. It's one of the things I struggle with when I read, try to read. Okay, I'm going to start with Psalm 119.1. I'm going to read all the way to verse 176. And I get lost somewhere around verse 43 because he seems to just be starting to say the same thing over and over again. One commentator went to so far as to say one person's annoyance is another person's emphasis. The repetitiveness that gets to me shows the emphasis that the psalmist puts on the love, the delight, and the longing for God's law. The psalm is also seems to be erratic as subjects change from strophe to strophe, from section to section. Reminds us that life isn't linear. You don't get to put on your calendar that, hey, I'm happy today, but in 10 days I'm going to enter a difficult time of life. We don't get to schedule the tragedies. We don't get to schedule some of the happy moments. They come at us erratically. The psalm shows us that God's word meets the erratic nature of our life as well. Who wrote Psalm 119? We, we don't really know. There have been guesses throughout the years. We do know that the person was a person who studied and taught God's law as he declares that and he shows the nuances of knowing God's law throughout that. We know that he was somebody who had access to the powerful because he talks about being met and um, opposed by princes, by rulers. You know, we, it's not like today where you and I can call or email our political uh, representatives. Um, if you weren't a powerful person, you didn't meet powerful people. And so throughout the history of the church, some people have ascribed this to David because he fits some of the descriptors met, uh, given to us in here. Others have said Jeremiah or Daniel because they meet some of those descriptors as well. The truth is we don't really know. And the truth is, it doesn't matter. We could have none of the authorial inscriptions that we have throughout the book of Psalms and they would still be God's word. They would still be authoritative in our lives and they would still teach us. So that's kind of what the psalm is like. We'll cover some of those things again and probably again and then probably again as we go throughout this psalm in the Bible. But what does Psalm 119 primarily teach us? 
And according to Dr. Mark Futado, it teaches us primarily five things about God's word, about his instructions to the people. The first is our attitude toward God's instruction. Our, our, the verse I read earlier, verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. There's a love that the psalmist has and that he says we should develop for the instruction, for the words of God. We love to study it, as he says here. I meditate on it all day long. And according to verse 115, we love to put it into practice. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, if we're being attacked by people who are saying evil, mean, and nasty things about us, we want them to go away, do we not? And we want them to go away so that we can just have a little bit of peace and quiet. Make my life easy again. The psalmist doesn't say that. that you know, get away from me so that my life can be easy. He says, away from me, you evildoers, so that I may keep the commands of my God. Look, you people are making it really hard for me to be obedient. So just get away so I can obey God. Do we love to obey God? Do we want the distractions of the world to go away so that we can obey God? We love to study it. We love to obey it. Verse 111, the psalmist says that God's statutes are the joy or the delight of his heart. Honestly, a lot of us, when it comes to late February, middle of March, when we get to Leviticus, our year through the Bible study ends. Because we haven't developed a delight in God's law. And verse 174 tells us, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Love, delight. And longing should mark our attitude toward God's word. Now, this is not mere conformity. If you leave today and you say, okay, I'm going to do absolutely everything in my power to love, delight, and long for God's word, you'll likely fail. You have to understand that part of the heart change that we get through the cross and through the application of the cross's work, of Jesus' work by the Holy Spirit to our life is that the law is written on our hearts. And in that law being written on our hearts is coded the love, the delight, and the longing. This is who you are in your spirit. You have everything in you through the work of Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit. You have everything in you that wants to love, that wants to delight in, that wants to long for the law of God. We have to work that out, and we'll talk about some practices here in a few moments that will help us to develop these attitudes toward the Word of God. But that is who you are because of Christ Jesus. We've been talking about it for the last few weeks as in our study of Romans in Sunday school. Your heart desires holiness. Your spirit desires the Word of God. Live like it. Work these things out with fear and trembling as God works in you. 
So our attitude towards God, towards God's instruction should be marked by love, delight, and longing. Our desire, linked to our attitude, but our desire is shown to us in Psalm 119 as well. We, we should desire that God would teach us. You can look at verses 26 and 27 of Psalm 119 later. We should desire as well, not only that God instruct us, that, but once again, that we put those instructions into practice. Don't just study and meditate and internalize God's word. Desire to live it. Psalm 119 will expose our resolve. So we've had attitude, we've had desire. We, now it exposes our resolve to live in keeping with the Lord's instruction. Verse 113 reminds us that it is a choice. I hate double-minded men, but I love your law. We resolve, we choose to have the attitude and the desire that God has given us. And this, this resolve, this choice stands even in the face of hardship. Verse 95, the wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. How many times do I, do you come to that time in the day that has been set aside for Bible reading, Bible study, Bible prayer and go, oh my goodness, I just had a rough night last night. God, do do you understand that I I just need this five minutes to just kind of close my eyes for just a second and get some rest? I'll, I'll catch up with you tomorrow. Multiple times throughout the psalm, the psalmist talks about things that would normally cast this in the category of a psalm of lament. My life is falling apart because evil men are seeking my destruction. But I'm going to stop and meditate on God's word. Even in the midst of hardship, our resolve stands. We've seen our attitude, our desire, our resolve. We also see the benefits that we receive from the Lord's instruction. Now, we are God's creatures. We are created by God. And because of that, God has authority over us and he commands us to do certain things. One of the things that he commands us is to have a love, a delight, and a longing for his word. For what it reveals to us about him and about us. And because God's God and we are not, we should follow that command. But God knows us. He knows that sometimes we need to carry it on the stick out in front of us. And so he tells us what the benefits are from God's instructions. Verse 165 tells us that there is peace for the person who studies, who meditates, who loves the law of God. Verses 50, 52 And 76 tell us that comfort comes to those who love God's word. Verse 45 tells us of the freedom that comes to God's people. The law brings freedom. Ike, the law puts fences around me. I can't do whatever I want. Absolutely. And there's far more freedom in that than there is in being slave to your desires. Slave to your wants. A slave to your needs. Life renewing power, we're told in verse 25. Hope is given to those in verse 143, to those who love God's law. 
And finally, we see God's heart in his instruction. Verse 124 tells us this. It says, deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. And one of the things that I didn't understand until I became a parent myself, one of the things that my parents always said whenever I would get in trouble for something was if I didn't love you, I wouldn't care. If God did not love the world, he would not reveal his law, either in nature or in the scriptures. The fact that God has given us 66 books of the Old and New Testament that teach us what God wills, what God desires for all humanity, specifically for the people of God, shows the great love that God has for his people and for the world. And so as we cover Psalm 119 over the next few months, we will see how it expresses our attitude, our desire, our resolve, the benefits of, and the Lord's heart in his instruction. So how do we put this all into practice over the next few months to develop this love for God, for God's instruction? Philip Henry said that the best way to gain benefit from Psalm 119 is to take one verse a day, one verse a day, and meditate on that verse all day and ask God to help you apply it to your life. And this will take you through Psalm 119 twice in a year. So if you really want to develop a love, a longing, and a desire for God's word, for God's law, Tomorrow morning, start with verse one. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Write it down. Whether you do it on a uh, index card or in a notebook or on your palm, wherever you want to write it down, write it down. And then every so often throughout the day, pull it back out. Read through it. Say, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. And as you write, that's that's what meditating is. Meditating is not some quiet practice where we just empty ourselves of all distractions and everything and just try to find some internal peace. There's no such thing as internal peace and quiet. Be alone with yourself without any other distractions for more than about 15 seconds and you'll discover there's no internal peace and quiet. Meditation is muttering saying over and over again what it is that you want to study. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. So write it down, meditate on it, pray it. Lord, show me what it means to be blessed. Show me what it means to be blameless. Show me how to walk according to your law and your will. Amen. Pray that over and over again throughout the day. And then live it. Know that when you are tempted to be anything but blameless, which those temptations come frequently, know that you do not have to give in to those temptations to be blameworthy. In Christ, with that new heart, with the law of God written on it, you are blameless before God. Live like it. Ask God to help you see where you can need to walk blamelessly before him according to his law. He's a good God. He'll answer. He'll show you. And then six months from now, when you're done, 
Start over. Do it again. Six months from then when you're done, start over. Do it again. Begin to make this a part of your daily walk. If you're not going to study in that way, find some way to study the Word of God. Not just read it. That's important. Don't get me wrong. But to study it, to find out what it means, to internalize it so that you can then walk according to the law of God. And as you see yourself walking more closely with him in more reliance upon him, not only will you begin to love him more, you'll love his word more as well. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do ask that as you as you lead us through this study of Psalm 119, that you would develop within us a love for your law, a love for your path toward holiness, a love for you. Change our attitude, change our desire, (coughs) change how we see you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. As you go this week, take this blessing upon you to your work, to your family, to your play. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.